0: block talk radio.
1: Book of
2: Revelation, uh-huh. chapter seven, verses sixteen and seventeen. Yes, sir. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore. Preach, preacher. For God shall wipe away yes sir.
0: every tear from their eye. Yes, sir. Get ready for the revolution. Come on, come on.
3: bless you uh, to all of our listeners. We are grateful for to God for allowing us to uh, share this opportunity with you. I'm your host, Reverend Lamar Townsend, and you're listening to Global Gospel. And so we want you to know that we don't own the rights to any of the music that you hear today, but we pray that is a blessing to you, you, and to you. We want you to tell your family, your friends, your neighbors to log on to www. Dot blog talk dot com slash global hyphen gospel. We're here every Saturday from 1 p.m. until 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we are on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And we're on Tumblr. And certainly if you go to our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or our Tumblr page, there is a direct link. Uh, all you have to do is click... And listen, Uh, again, we thank you for sharing with us on today. Uh, For those that want to connect with us, uh, you can also connect with us at P.O. Box 5331. That is in Hempstead, New York, where the zip code is 11550. If you'd like to email us, you can email globalgospel17 at gmail.com. And certainly those are ways you can reach out to us. We are also syndicated on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So there's certainly uh, ways for you to connect with us. We want to shout out our sponsors on today. Abyssinia, the Nationwide Black Family Mediation Services, Lois Glenn Carter, MPT Enterprise, Marlon Townsend, Melanated Beards, Malini's Malini's Factory, uh, Third Lounge, Ryan Wilson, uh, who is responsible for all our artwork, and certainly Nevaeh's Cake Creations. And certainly we thank God for our listeners in the north, the south, the east, the west, uh, to all of you that are listening in around the world. For those of you that have tuned in uh, to Global Gospel for the first time, our theme here is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid, to them that are lost. And certainly it is our prayer uh, that none be lost, but certainly that um, we uh, realize that uh, there is a world out there that is waiting for us, and certainly that the gospel is here to free you, to heal you, to deliver you, to save you, and to set you free. And it is comprehensive. It meets every uh, need in your life, whether it be financial, spiritual, Emotional, whatever your need is The gospel is comprehensive And Jesus died for it all And certainly we uh, believe that ministry is holistic And certainly there is something uh, For everybody, rich, poor, black, white Whoever you are, wherever you are Wherever you live uh, There is the gospel for you Again, we thank you all for sharing with us On this Saturday afternoon And certainly uh, we do have an awesome uh, lineup, and so I am moving uh, as expeditiously as I can. Uh, certainly, we have a lot to say in a short period of time. And certainly, uh, after this uh, next election, uh, you will be hearing from our guest on today. Um, for those of you that desire to call in at the appointed time, our number here in studio Uh, Is 619-924-0800 And certainly we will be back After this break Stay tuned and be blessed Young, gifted, and black. God bless you. Uh, for those of you that have just tuned in, this is Global Gospel. I'm your host, Reverend Lamar Townsend, and we have an awesome line up here on today. And certainly I'm going to uh, let our guests uh, introduce themselves, and certainly you can. Um, they are going to introduce themselves in order uh, that you see in posting. Good afternoon, special guests. Tell us who you
0: are.
3: Good afternoon,
1: everyone. Um, I'm I'm blessed to be here. I'm glad you're all here with us. This is Sharif Vanderhall. Thank you for the invitation, Reverend Townsend. I'm excited about today's conversation. Um, I'm a a practicing attorney. The areas of practice are employment discrimination and family law. I uh, recently worked for the village of Hempstead as the village attorney. I am currently counsel to the receiver of taxes for the town of Hempstead.
3: Awesome. Thank you, uh Sharice uh Hall for sharing with us on this afternoon. Our next guest.
4: Hey everyone, I'm Rashad Frazier Gaines. I reside in our nation's capital Washington, D.C., and I am a political advisor and consultant to candidates, elected officials, and I also serve as the Chief Strategy Officer for Amplify Action and the President of
2: Amplify Action Fund.
3: Awesome. And our third guest.
2: Good evening. Happy Saturday to the Global Gospel family and to Reverend Lamar and to our esteemed panelists that are on with us this morning, this afternoon. I am Dexter Hetchpeth. Glad to be here. I serve uh, in the Office of Minority Affairs for Nassau County, Assistant County Executive on uh, areas and uh, things pertaining to the minority community within Nassau County, which serves 1.5 million uh, constituents. Uh, also, am a member of the Cedarmore Corporation, where I serve as a board member where we empower young people to take dominion in their life. And I'm just so grateful to be here with you all.
3: Awesome. Well, again, I thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedules uh, to share with us on this Saturday afternoon. And I just want to put this out there. I am uh, not really a political person. I try to be as less political as uh, possible. And, but I do know Uh, Several people that are involved in politics and some that are heavily involved in politics and some that are well educated in the area. And I thought it uh, would be a good idea for uh, our young, gifted and black individuals uh, to share with us some of the things that we are facing uh, in this current time, this current uh, period, this current season in uh, history And as we live, we are living history, and certainly we are making uh, history. And so uh, these individuals have a uh, very uh, diversified uh, background, and they're able to share with us. Uh, So uh, tell us, um, what was your interest in – how did you all become interested in uh, politics and in community uh, work? Uh, Sharice, ladies first.
1: Thank you, thank you. Oh God, that I, I will try not to make the story too long. So, okay. let me start by saying that I grew up in the A.M.E. Zion Church, right? Which is what we call the Freedom Church.
0: Okay. Um,
1: that's where I was baptized as an infant by um, the now late um, Bishop Carr, who was the first African American trustee for the Incorporated Village of Hempstead. He paved the way for. The former mayor James Garner to become the first Black mayor in New York State. Right, Mayor Garner, someone who's known me all my life. I'm very, very close to him. But the the part of the teachings of the Freedom Church, um, beginning with you know the late 1700s, helping people to emancipate themselves, and then going through um, emancipation. All the way up to the civil rights movement, up until now, those teachings are about being involved in the community, um, having a voice, and exercising that voice. So that's something that we've always we always practiced as youth. And in my church in Hempstead, uh, on Long Island, we were always very, very politically active, surrounding campaigns. I always had an idea of what was going on in politics. I went off to college. I came back to um, Nassau County and and saw whenever there was something that needed to be addressed, I was ready to speak on it, right? Um, That led to me running two campaigns, one for county legislature, uh, two unsuccessful campaigns, one for county legislature, one for New York State Assembly. Um, But it, it has not muted my voice. And Nassau County is probably one of the most segregated counties in the United States, and segregated in so many ways, right, Uh, whether it comes to infrastructure, whether it comes to development, education, or actually where you live, there are clear differences in communities in Nassau County with other uh, communities. And the only way to shed light on that and to do something about it is to empower people, educate people, and speak on it. So that's something that I'm passionate about, and that's pretty much how what paved my way um into politics and how I got involved
3: awesome and um well, you said something you said um two unsuccessful campaigns um yes. But what but what I always say is I don't know if I would say that is um it was unsuccessful I always say um listen, when a person when you run for an office there's one of two things could ha- could happen you could win or you could lose <laughs> and so um it's all a part of the process and and that, well that's coming from somebody that's not really you know into politics like that but um, but I I do understand what you're saying and certainly we uh, uh do appreciate that as we talk today about um church and state and the, and the two They go together, but they don't go together. And so that's why we are here today. And certainly thank you uh, for sharing your path with us. Uh, Rashad. What's up? How's it going? Great. How are you? Great. So uh, tell us your uh, political journey.
4: Um. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was ever interested in politics um, at all. I've never really liked the partisan system, and I'm more uh, I would say I was more interested in helping people. Uh, growing up down south, growing up um, in a black family, um, you know, and, and black families we endure and we it, we see a lot um, from a lot of different vantage points. Um, in a short amount of time. Um, You know, I I often tell people, people, I was like, you know, you're so wise to be so young. And I'm like, well, I've lived a lot. And I think, unfortunately, that's a reality across our, you know, across the diaspora, across generations in our community. So I wouldn't say I was ever interested in politics. I was more so interested in helping people. Um, And I think that comes just from, you know, my grandmother being a nurse my godfather being a pastor and being committed to outreach work and doing um anything from prison ministries to homeless ministry to you know uh working with uh young people with challenges to um uh nursing homes. I mean I don't I can go on uh, college students, you know, he he just had a heart for people, and that's something that he, in, you know, tried to instill in our congregation. So when you grow up in that type of environment, um, and growing up down south is is very different from growing up, uh, especially where I grew up at, it was very different uh, than growing up in a in a major city. There weren't a lot of options uh, <laughs> for you to, to for you to do was either, you know, you were in school and you played sports or you were in school and you did stuff at church or, you know, you were, you, we, everybody was really big on idle hands being a devil's workshop. So we were all always shuffled around and put into to do something. And so I was an athlete, um, especially when I was younger. Um, so I was always in church and, and doing something. And I think being in those environments at a very young age, I always knew that even though I was going to school for business and wanted to do some really awesome things, in my opinion, I knew that in the back of my mind that, you know, we're responsible for each other. Um, you know, my grandmother used to always say, God sanctions family. So I, I in my mind, I've always had this underdog, Um, complex where like if I see somebody without like I want to help them I want to help them figure it out so when I was at the University of South Carolina I was actually a sport and entertainment management major I have never taken a political science class a day in my life Uh, fast forward 15 years I worked on campaigns all across the country Um, I've helped so many people be elected uh, to public office up and down the ballot from local all the way up to um, our federal and uh, national government, um, as well as trained hundreds of young activists and community leaders, um, elected officials, campaign operatives, um, through a conference I created named the Progressive Leadership Summit. Um, so, I, my interest was in helping people, and the skill set that I was able to gain from the School of Business at the University of South Carolina and the College of hotel, retail, and sport management, because um, a lot of folks would say, how do you go from sport and entertainment to politics? Well, when the, you're managing uh, super strong personalities, you know, they, they all kind of start to look alike. So I was able to take my business acumen and apply it in spaces, in the political space where um, I could use it to my advantage. And so um, 15 years later, I'm still here doing this. Uh, soon we'll be making a transition. I want to open a school um, that focuses on uh, preparing young black men to be leaders in our community. Um, so I'll be making a switch pretty soon. But as of right now, this is how I take care of myself and how I help my people.
2: All right. Thank you. Uh, Texta. Yes. Um, wow. Um. So I don't, I didn't initially growing up think about Uh politics at first, um, it kind of started out um, basically as leadership. I'd always had a great desire to uh, lead our people um, into something great, into something positive. Um, And so in school, I became, um, you know, student council president, student government president, president of this club, that club. Um, And it really wasn't with the focus of one day running for office or being as involved in government and politics as I am now. Um, it was mainly for just the leadership, uh, ability. Um, I think as I got older, as uh, has said, you know, you go to church and, uh, you become mentored by your leaders and you kind of pick up what they pick up. Um, and my leader, um, as well as your leader, uh, Lamar, you know, formulated uh, Long Island Council of Clergy who um, were able to go into the governmental and political arena and demand and kind of command some things to be done for our community and vicinity. Um, And so once I started being exposed to that, it was like, okay, um, this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to make happen and get done. Um, And then it became more of a desire to be involved in the government, as well as along the lines of uh, political engagement. And it just kind of grew from there. I was already in the county system. And so then I kind of positioned myself for an opportunity within government of to where would I make the most impact. Um, I did you know, road maintenance, I, I did engineer work for the county, I did public safety work for the county, and then um, I was introduced to the Office of Minority Affairs, um, whose job is kind of really to focus on the minority community and make sure that they're getting the resources that they need to be able to function um, as the other areas of the county. And so I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. Um, And so I've been in that office for six years and just have developed more of a desire to be uh, more engaged politically and to be more engaged within the governmental arena uh, within our uh, county at this particular time. Um, So that's how I kind of um, got to this whole political area of my life.
3: Awesome. Uh, So we have laid the foundation uh, for our our panelists and guests on today. And certainly um, we know that, listen, everyone has their own uh, political views, their own religious views. And certainly it does not uh, necessarily reflect our employers or our places of employment or our places of worship. Um, But uh, it's just what it is sometimes. Sometimes we are in some uncomfortable Uh, places that don't reflect who we are or what we desire uh, to be and so with that being said as we move forward um, sometimes you are the only African American in the room sometimes you're the only youth in the room sometimes you're the only uh, female in the room and so then uh, gender and race uh, becomes an issue uh, for us as an individual it becomes uh, issue for our community, Sharice uh, When you're the only person of color in the room, the only female in the room, uh, what, what what is that like, and how does that affect uh, your surroundings and community? <laughs> you know, loaded question.
1: I, I'm so used to it is right. It, 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 I'm so used to it now. Um, I mean, one of the things for me personally. You know, I've worked to use moments as teaching moments when something is said that is way off color. Um, I find that that's more useful in dealing with my colleagues or, um, you know, other professionals when I'm the only female in the room or the only uh, black person in the room and something is said. I think the opportunity to say, okay, look, you know, let me just explain something to you. And I'll just, I'll just give you two examples, right? So the very first um, law firm that I worked for out of law school, um, the partners will take the associates to lunch to welcome them to the firm. So they took me and the two other first-year associates out for lunch, and one of the partners said to me, Vanderhall, that's, you know, that. how did you get that last name? That's an interesting last name. Sure. So I, I said, you know, the Dutch West India Company. Like that's, you know, what? I guess, I guess I in their mind I was supposed to have an English last name, not a Dutch last name. But you forget that the Dutch ran a slave trade. So it happened. Um, and there was like a, a, a pause, but then he shook his head and said, you know what? Okay. You're right. So there's that, right? Then I've had experiences in court where I'm representing a black individual, and I I was on trial in Queens representing a black father, and there was an argument about why one would use a susu rather than putting money in a bank. And I have to just say, let's off the record for a second and have a conversation with every attorney and the judge in the room. And explain to them why people chose to use susus. and for that matter, it's not just a black thing, right? The Irish and the Italians did the same thing when they came to when they came here voluntarily. So um, I say all that to say, when you're the only person in the room, it's best to be armed with history and knowledge, um, so you can just impart that on others, right? And use use every moment as a teaching moment. And then you also surround yourself and you wrap yourself with um, people who look like you on the outside. So that's why there are different affinity groups, right? That's why church is important on Sundays. That's why that fellowship piece is important. That's why being involved in, you know, certain types of affinity bar associations and organizations are important because that is what gives you – that ability to step out of those areas that are uncomfortable, and kind of recap and talk about what has happened, and reaffirm why you're in why you are in the shoes that you're in, the shoulders that you stand on, and the ones that are going to come after you. And that's pretty much it.
3: Okay. And when you know when your uh, hand comes up in Susu. you can pay off a few bills or buy a few things Well, anyway I'm not going that way (laughs) Rashad yeah so go ahead
4: yeah so um, I'm kind of at a place in my career where I'm not the youngest person in the room anymore um or I'm not the only black person in the room anymore, um, and you know, thank God for grace that I'm I'm not a woman, so I'm not the the, the young black woman in the room by herself with a group of white men. Um, but those things still do happen, um, and I I have some war stories of you know how things have handled when those things have been happened. Um, I think attorney Vanderhall is correct. Um, when you're in those spaces, you have to be prepared. I think a lot of people fight in their careers to get to the room. Um, and, but we, no one has ever pulled us aside and and had a convening on what you're supposed to do once you're in the room. Um, and I think a lot of times, uh, and, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. A lot of us, uh, by de facto, feel like we have the weight of whatever community we're representing on our shoulders. Like I, when when I'm in those spaces, I'm very clear. I do not represent all Black people in America or across the diaspora and on Earth. I do not represent all young people. I do not represent all uh, members of clergy. I don't represent all of X community. Like whatever it is, whoever I'm supposed to be representing whatever space I'm filling. Um, and and we have to be careful, right? Because when we are the only person in the room, let me, let me back up a little bit. I'll, I'll share this. I remember when Ferguson happened um, in 2014, I started the national black caucus for the young Democrats of America. And I remember I was doing a training in Ferguson with my members and with uh, folks that, uh, we're hoping to run for office, and, and, and a lot of the elected officials are there. Um, and we have some really good numbers coming out of that training with people winning races, running for the first time. And I remember uh, telling them, I said, for those of us who have good jobs and who are in these spaces, you cannot get on a high horse right now because it's easy sometimes to try to separate ourselves from the black people that are making noise, right. Yeah. Or from whoever, whoever are the, the folks that are, that are, you know, rabble rousing as folks would say, it's easy for those of us who are in this little isolated space, we work in this silo for us to try to detach from the greater, the greater, uh, the greater good in our community. But it is, even more imperative for the people in those spaces to understand what's going on out there in the street, to have conversations, to stay connected because whether you're the if you're the whether you're the receptionist or a person in the C suite or the only only black nurse in that hospital when something goes down, everyone is looking to you, everyone that you work with is looking to you on on how to lead How do we fix this? You're going to be pulled into conversations that you may not be prepared for, but you have no choice but to be prepared because unfortunately you're the only one in the room. You're the only one that they have a relationship with. So I think that it is imperative, um, as attorney Vanderhall said, we have to be armed and knowledgeable. Um, I too, like, uh, Dexter, uh, When I was younger, I was involved in a lot of these different spaces and organizations. And, you know, it's tough being uh, one of few Black beta club presidents across an entire state, right? Uh, It's tough being, you know, the only Black person in the honor society or, you know, all of these things for for those of us who uh, are not in spaces where we are around a lot of Black people all of the time or around a lot of young people all the time. Sometimes it's really tough when you're by yourself, but it is on you to do the work so that you can be prepared. And I hate to put that weight on people, but the reality is, we can pretend that folks are not looking for us to represent the whole, but the facts are, they are. And we have to prepare ourselves.
2: This is true. All
3: right, Dexter?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, everything what they said was great. Um, I've had the opportunity, um, and that's what I like to, to look at it at, right? Because I believe that uh, what you create in your mind is, is what is going to become the success of it. And so I had the opportunity of being young in the room, being a millennial in the room. Um, and sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have um, difficult days. Um, But what I like about being the millennial in the room is that we have the opportunity to present new ideas and creativity that can kind of shape or reshape and redirect the conversation or the work that is being um, discussed in the room. Um, So you have those moments of opportunity where, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, I've never thought about it this way. I've never thought about it that way. But it gives you that opportunity to kind of present a more relevant or a more progressive way of how we do things. And then of course, being the only black in the room. I love that moment. I love those opportunities um, because it gives you the opportunity to to really define who black America is to a world that may see it only through the lens of social media and media as a whole. Sharice, um, uh, Said it well right uh the positions that or the rooms that i am normally in and the positions that i have um, were predicated based on what the church exposed me to um, and i always use this analogy like if it wasn't for all those years of giving my easter speech i would not be so comfortable speaking in front of people now if it wasn't for those many years of teaching sunday school um, i wouldn't be able to put together a presentation now Um, as articulate as I can, and to be able to present it in the room where I'm the only African American. Um, And so these moments of opportunity are great moments. Um, And like Rashad said, uh, you have to prepare for these moments, right? You have to prepare for being the youngest person in the room. You have to prepare for being the only female in the room, the only African American in the room. You have, you have to do your research. If you're being called into the room, nine times out of 10, you know why you're being called into the room and you know what the discussion is going to be. And so you need to prepare yourself for that moment and for that opportunity. So whatever type of stigma, whatever type of other notions they may have had of African Americans or millennials or younger people or females, you can, you know, just dismiss that by being who you are um, authentically and genuine and just producing what it is that you're in the room to do.
3: Okay. So um, now that we are uh, in the room, uh, so to speak, uh, whether we're the only one or there's multiple people in the room, and there's people that are outside the room, there's people in our uh Community, uh, there's constituents, and so as a constituent, which we all are constituents, um, on the issue, there's been so many issues of uh, voter suppression and uh, so many uh, districting and redistricting, and um, as as was said, um, Nassau County, where I think uh, two, three out of the four of us. Uh, live, we know that the um, lines are so defined uh, between our communities, and you know what, and, and it was you know it was pretty much built that way. I mean, the whole design of uh, Long Island and Nassau County and suburbia and Levittown. Um, I mean, there was there was signs back in the day: uh, no blacks, no Jews, no dogs. And so, I mean, this is this is what our foundation uh, was. But as we uh, talk about voter suppression. What are our, uh, our I- ideas about voter suppression? And when it comes time to vote our um, people in office, um, how, do we, how do we make those decisions? Because sometimes, as we all express, we all uh, come from Christian backgrounds, and sometimes there are things on the table as, you know, there's something going on in Texas with abortion, uh, whatever, there's uh, all types of issues, same-gender unions. And so when I'm voting... Do I vote my faith? Do I vote my uh, personal belief? Do I vote the uh, the lesser of the two evils? Let's talk about voting. Not everybody at once. Sharice. So <laughs>
1: you talked about voter suppression and voting. What, what, Pick What's one. the question?
3: Pick one. All uh, right. <laughs> right, so let's start off with voter suppression.
1: Look, so, you know, uh, we obviously know voter suppression is real, right? Um, I know Rashad is from D.C. Both Dexter and I are from Nassau County. Um, I have an issue with the Supreme Court saying certain jurisdictions don't need oversight right before they change make changes to voting laws. That's an obvious issue, right? That's happening outside of New York. But I do have a concern when certain terms are used by either party, right, to um, to automatically inflame a group. So I'm going to give you an example, a very local example. The, the word "voter suppression" was used a mayoral election in Hempstead in March of 2021. Right? People were using the word "voter suppression," and frankly, they didn't even know what it meant. And what was the result? Right? People with a, who have um, who are part of groups with a history of discrimination. When Black people hear that, we go, "Oh, voter suppression! Go the other way! Run the other way!" this candidate, this party is bad for us. When we just tack on to these phrases like that, it makes us go the other way and not look at what the issues are, who's voting for what, what blue dog Democrats are out there, what other conservative Dems are out there, what right-wing Republicans are out there doing, and what liberal Republicans may be out there doing for us. We start to ignore individuals and specific issues. And I think that specifically – and Nassau County, that's kind of led us to oftentimes vote one way without even thinking about who our representatives are. That's one. Two, you mentioned redistricting, right? Largely in Nassau County, black people are packed into one of three legislative districts, right? So districts one, two, or three. District one, um, is the district represented by Kayvon Abrams, that's that Uniondale, Hempstead, Roosevelt, North Freeport area. Two, Stila that that's Hempstead, Lakeview, Westbury. Um, and then three, Carrier has that, Szilagis has that Elmont area into the, um, going into parts of Valley Stream. I mentioned them, we're packed into those districts. We have three, you know, legislators, who obviously I think um, want the best for their districts and they vote accordingly. But if you look at when it comes to issues that affect um, Black and Brown people disproportionately, they don't fall on party lines. They fall on racial lines all the time. It, it, it goes 16 3, it doesn't go 11 8 Republican Democrat in that county. So I think that when we allow ourselves to be triggered by terms such as voter suppression, Republican, and Donald Trump, or Cuomo, right, for that matter, depending on where you stand, um, you don't make informed decisions. You don't look at the individual and look at the things that they are doing that affect your community. When I ran um, for office both times, I ran as a Republican, and I ran um, under a platform of we're not we're not in a, a blue versus red state, right? There's us, and then there are other people. So look at me. If you like what I have to say, if you think that I can represent you, and let me tell you what I've already done um, to represent my community, then I'm going to ask for your vote. I'd like to see more people of color start to think like that in these largely overwhelming blue states overwhelmingly blue states and then you know if there's pockets of communities of color and overwhelmingly red states they should do the same thing right your state shouldn't dictate how you vote in the general election it should it should actually mean that you pay more attention to the primaries and what people actually stand for and i think that we kind of missed that a little bit
3: um does anybody else want to chime in on that and and you know what, I don't you know what I don't want to change gears, but I, I do wanna talk about um uh, how we've been affected uh by uh pandemic. Uh, Rashad, do you wanna start with that? Start that off for us.
4: Okay. Um uh to before I answer that question, I'll say regarding the question about voter suppression and whether your face should impact your vote, I would say um In addition to the state, county, federal government, like whatever elections you're voting in, like they should uh, be doing community education leading up to voting. Like I I feel like government has a responsibility to make sure people understand what they're voting for and who they're voting for, in addition to what the candidates or the parties are doing. And I think a lot of uh, states are constantly fighting budgetary battles and the money that goes out for voter, voter education when we look at the elections process is always being decreased. Um, and that's not fair. Uh, people should not go to the ballot and have no idea how the ballot works and who they're voting for and what offices are. In addition to that, though, the onus is also on us in our community. Like we're going to have to take a more active role in educating ourselves before we go to the ballot box. Um, I would say, yeah, I I believe that my faith impacts, you know, how I vote. You know, I, uh, I like candidates that talk about helping people because I was raised, to believe that that is what we're supposed to do i was taught that we're supposed to feed the hungry and we're supposed to help provide shelter for the homeless and we're supposed to close the naked um and i think that uh, government has responsibility to the people that pay its taxes um so if you know i look at taxing and tithing um it the same way i look at investing if i'm putting in when i'm in need there should be uh some something somewhere For me to withdraw or uh, have some type of support Um, and people can take that how they want to but i believe anytime you pay money into a system or into a a uh, entity um, if there is a time that you need support you should uh, not have to look too far Mm -hmm. lastly with the pandemic i'll say that i think church has changed forever um, I don't think that we're going to be up under COVID, up from under the reign of COVID in America for a while, just because, you know, all uh, all states aren't created equal. And so you have some states that are still hell-bent against believing scientists and, you know, the things that they've seen happen. And you have uh, some states that are taking it a little bit more serious. But as travel bans and restrictions have lifted. You know, more people are being transient. People are just tired of being stuck in the house. We're already seeing, you know, deaths and the number of schools um, that are open that do not have mask mandates. You have teachers and support staff members who are becoming sick. Uh, My little niece has had um, three uh, one-and-a-half-week quarantine periods since school started at the end of august and we're just not at the beginning of october so literally they're in school then somebody will you know be exposed to COVID. then they're shutting down school for a week they go back same thing school is out for another week and it just it just keeps happening so until as a country we take it serious i don't foresee things going back to business as usual churches included with that and a lot of churches that do not have large memberships or medium-sized memberships, a lot of small churches will be closing. Some churches won't rebound from this. Um, So when we talk about the political power of the Black church, you know, we have to start thinking about those things. Uh, Right now, people are thinking about complications and conventions. But it's like, no, we need to be thinking about how do we recalibrate um, for a world that is changing right in front of our eyes. Right.
0: Okay.
3: That's the
2: Oh man, that was like a a, a two in one segment. Uh, so uh, <laughs> well, listen,
3: we we coming to the we're coming to the close of the hour, and uh, you know, listen, yeah, no, I get we, it. We, we, we I, have to schedule part two, but yeah, you know, we we definitely
2: need to need to come back and schedule part two. But I think um, voting suppression is is you know that could be a show within itself, um, and it is something that we in the African American community really need to talk about and to address uh the reality is that many persons who are involved in a governmental arena involved in political uh involved in a political arena um we pretty much know about uh, voter suppression and what is taking place um as it relates to voter suppression um first uh, we need to make sure that people know because a lot of people don't even know what voter suppression is, right? So voter suppression is a strategy, which is used to influence the outcome of an election by discouraging or, or preventing specific groups um, of people from voting as um, our attorney on the line has already indicated. But as a black community, as an African American, African American community, we need to identify how, Uh, what are some of those ways that we as a people are experiencing that, right? So when we look at um, voter suppression, um, people may just think it's a a Democrat or a Republican or progressive thing, um, you know, and it is, right, to a certain extent, but we've got to really look at how this is happening, right, and what areas of our lives is this happening in, and a lot of people don't understand that, right? So when we think about voter suppression, we need to understand um, the voter's registration restrictions, right? The restrictions that are being put in place so that people can't even register to vote. Uh, when we talk about voter suppression, we've got to look at the criminalization of the ballot box, um, which is you know discouraging voter participation um, for people to come out and to even be able to vote. When we talk about voter suppression, we've got to talk about that whole felony aspect of it, of disenfranchisement of a a felon convicted, um, and what the law says about them coming out to vote. When we talk about voter suppression, we got to talk about the voters purges, right? Cleaning up the voters' role. Um, I. I <laughs> I know from experience, a lady told me she voted three times in an election because she knew that her neighbors had passed, um, and she used to check the mail, and she was just able to go and, you know, fill it out, right, because she wanted this candidate uh, to win, right? So when was the last time we purged the voters' role to make sure that the person that lived at 999 Maple Avenue is no longer there or that the right person that's living there is actually registered to vote and is in an active voting, right? So when we talk about this whole voter suppression and then, yes, like as you said, going into redistricting, but then there's also voter ID laws. There's also um, so many other different things that we really need to look at. And like I said, this is a conversation that we need to have because it can be broken down in so many areas that, we can digest this for our people so that they will be able to understand it. Um, And, and it's, it's crazy. Even when you look at the statistics across the country, one in uh, 16 black Americans can't vote due to uh, disenfranchisement laws, right? When you look at uh, ninth, uh, 2018, uh, the black Americans was twice likely as whites to be uh, unable to get off of work while polls were open um, to go out and vote. When we look at even those persons who are uh, disabled or can't get out living in our senior facilities um, and due to the pandemic, they have stopped having the opportunity for them to be able to vote in their senior facility, right? So here where I live in Freeport, you used to go into the senior facility on Main Street or wherever and you can just go ahead and vote. But now you got to go to the rec center. And so now the question is, how do we get our seniors who can barely walk, who are in wheelchairs, who have AIDS and all of this other stuff to cross Merrick Road and Sunrise Highway to go vote, right? So there are so many different um, issues and concerns that needs to be addressed when we talk about this here voter depression. So I just wanted to add my two little cents on to that. Um, okay. The pandemic effects um, of the church um, has been drastic. Um as our brother said earlier, you know, church will never be the same, right? Uh, There's a number of churches. uh, One, there is a number of leaders who have died because of the pandemic, right? So we can't even talk about the pandemic in church until we actually talk about the pandemic and the health challenge it caused in the whole health demographic of African-Americans, right? The underlying health conditions um, that many of them died to due to this pandemic. Um, But the church... It will never be the same. Um, some people are, are back for now, you know, as normal. We don't know what that's going to be. We're getting ready to go into flu season. We're getting ready to go into the winter. And as Rashad said, you know, different states, towns, cities, municipalities all require different things, right? So you can wear right. a mask in Nassau County, and then you could be willian in New York City. Um, and so until we get everything on one accord, like he stated earlier, we're going to be in this state for a minute. The church is going to be in this state of restraint until we are able to decipher what this new norm is going to be and how we're going to uh, decide to move forward in the church. Awesome. Um, I do not I have want a to... quick
1: question, Lamar, if you don't mind. Go
2: ahead. Go
3: ahead. Just we got, ahead. We got we got we got Just... five minutes and I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you comment on uh pandemic and everything. And then what I'm gonna do is so because we ran out of time and this is really good, um I got one caller. We're gonna conclude with that caller. And that's going to be the intro. We're not going to answer that person's question, but that's going to be the intro to our next episode. But go ahead, Sharice.
1: <laughs> I just want to know, what when we talk about addressing voter suppression, is the goal to get as much as the electorate out to vote as possible? Or is it the goal to have an educated electorate? Because I do think what Rashad said is the government has a duty to educate people on how to vote and what they're voting for. But the push has been to just get everybody out and not necessarily educate them.
2: Um,
1: I find that we tell people, you can go vote here, here's a ballot, you know, here's an s and ballot, fill it out, bubble in row A all the way, but they're not even telling you who you're voting for on row A. This is true. So what, what should we, as a community, as a community, what should we be doing in our churches in our schools, right, in our senior centers, what is it that we should be doing?
3: Um, that is uh, that is true, and I do think education is key. And uh, because voting across row A or row B is not always necessarily the right idea because, you know, what, a lot of times people just ask people, well, uh, who are you voting for? You know, and that's a very uneducated way because you're doing it's a, it becomes a popularity contest And and my um but with that being said, um we have come to the conclusion of the hour and I thank uh you all for sharing uh this uh space uh with global gospel. Uh we want everyone to know that this uh entire episode is archived, uh so you can listen at any time uh following at the 2 p.m. hour you can listen to the episode or you have to log on to com slash global hyphen gospel uh we're on apple itunes spotify and google play we're here every saturday from 1 p.m. until 2 p.m i thank you dexter hedgepath i thank you uh rashad fraser Gaines. i thank you cerise uh Vanderhall. i thank god for the uh <laughs> Those that are uh, those minutes, the, the two ministers and the attorney uh, that have uh, shared this platform as we talk about uh, church and state. Sharice, uh, did you want to say something yeah. in one minute about the pandemic?
0: <laughs>
3: Look,
1: other than it's still going on and be safe. That, that That's it. I think we we already know who the pandemic is taking out and how it's affecting us disproportionately. Right. Right.
3: So we're
1: going to have to come out of this the same way we came out of the middle passage.
3: Mm. Stay strong and stick
1: together. That's it. Uh,
3: Okay. And so here's my caller. Uh, God bless you, caller. You have 30 seconds.
5: Goodness. Good afternoon, Reverend Towson. Good afternoon. uh, Panel. Uh, This is Lois Glenn Carter. I just wanted to expressly share in 2017, uh, uh, Attorney Vanderhall um, actually gave me an opportunity to be a vendor as a uh, parent advocate to the school to prison pipeline uh, program that was taking place in Hempstead. And from that day to this day, um, I have been a follower and a supporter of her work, and although she has run and was unsuccessful, continue to stand in those spaces and let them know that you are here. You are present and you are forced to be reckoned with, and they have to acknowledge that. So although your bids were not successful, your name and your Talent and everything that you bring to the table is being watched is being um admired from a distance, so I just wanted to say um say to you um we've never met in person, but Lois Glenn Carter has been following your work since two thousand and seventeen when you gave me an opportunity, so I just want to say many blessings to you and to all the panelists. Wonderful platform thank
3: you Thanks. Thank you, my sister. All right, thank you, uh my brothers and sisters, uh, for sharing with us again this out again we'll do this again, part two, uh in the very near future, uh whenever our schedules align, same people, uh, same time, different date. All right, God bless you all. Uh Dexter, close out.
2: Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be tuned in to Global Gospel, to dis- uh, discuss race, religion, and politics. We ask that you bless each and every listener and hearer. We thank you for each panelist. We thank you for Global Gospel uh, Network, and we ask that you continue to show forth your mercy and grace until we meet again.